Welcome to City Life Church, and this is our podcast. This is Pastor Dave Diefendorf, and we are so honored to have you join us today. Our passion is to help you discover who God is, grow in the likeness of Jesus, and lead well in this generation. I hope in this message, God will meet you where you're at and take you to the next level in your connection with Him and His kingdom. Enjoy the message. That was really white. Let's just be honest. All right. Hope you guys are doing good. But you are white, man. Come on. Let's strong. That's nice. Let's come on. All right. Well, uh, before we get started, we're starting a brand new series today on Matthew. And so I've, I've been really jamming for today for a long time. But before we get started, um, Michaela and Jaden are going to Poland tomorrow morning to bring the kingdom in Poland encounter religion with Jesus. So let's pray for them before they go. Uh, Lord, we just thank you for Michaela. We thank you for Jaden. God, we pray that you would cover their trip, cover their team with your presence, with wisdom. Pray for divine appointments. And a God, that you would truly not only help change the people, but God, that you would change them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, so if you have a Bible, or if you have one in front of you, open it up to Matthew. That's where we're going to be uh, right at the beginning of the New Testament, right after what some believe is the only Italian prophet, Malachi, or Malachi, just can come on, Malachi, yeah, you like that joke. All right, sweet. All right, so uh, Matthew, it is written by Matthew, who is a disciple of Jesus. He was formerly known as Levi. And we find him in his own book. He introduces himself in chapter 9 and 10. But uh, Matthew is a disciple of Jesus. He's formerly a tax collector. Uh, That in their day, the tax collectors were the most judged, harshly criticized uh, groups of people in the Jewish community because they worked for Rome. And they would tax the Jewish people and they'd be knocking on doors to collect Roman tax. And they were despised, absolutely despised, but yet Jesus always goes after uh, people like that. So, Matthew is arguably one of the most influential books in the New Testament. It's the most quoted in uh, church history by the church fathers um, of any other book in the New Testament. Um, And it is written, it was written about 35 to 50 AD. We don't really know the exact time. But Matthew, what Matthew had done is the, the Jewish people had what was called an oral tradition. So we don't have that today, but uh, oral tradition is that from the, from the youngest of kids, they would be trained how to memorize the scriptures. So by the time you were eight, you would memorize the entire Torah, the first five books of the Bible. If you kept getting schooling, you would eventually memorize the whole Old Testament verbatim. That was your schooling. And um, so uh, with with, um, with Matthew, he's, they, they kind of had a, Matthew had his gospel, but he, he kind of assembled these stories in such a way, and it's, when we really get into it, I think you're going to see it's one of the most masterful pieces of literature ever written, and not just because it's in the Bible, but the architecture of this gospel of Matthew is masterful, because what he is doing, his audience is not just everyday people. His audience is specifically the Jewish people of his day. And what he was trying to do is he's trying to bridge 
the unresolved Old Testament story of Israel that they were still waiting for a Messiah. And what Matthew does is he bridges Jesus with the Old Testament story. And, and that almost that Jesus is rewriting the history of Israel through this book. And you're going to see it. So, hopefully you guys are excited. Um, let's see. Specifically, Matthew wants to show us that Jesus is the continuation and fulfillment of the whole biblical story of God and Israel that the Messiah would be from the line of David, that he would be an authoritative teacher like Moses, and that Jesus would be indeed God with us. Overall, there's a, so how, how it goes is there's an introduction, there's a conclusion, and then there's five arcs that we find in Matthew over the 28 chapters. And so we're going to cover all 28 in six weeks. It's going to be awesome. But we're going to stay kind of high level so that you get the kind of high level picture so that when you actually this week, hopefully, read chapters one through three, that you'll kind of have that kind of above the clouds perspective so when you dive in, it gives you some framework. So the main theme of Matthew is Jesus is king. Jesus is king. And he says it in many different ways throughout his letter. So we start off, Matthew 1.1. This is the record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, the descendant of King David and of Abraham. So he goes into this, he starts off Matthew's letter with this genealogy. And you don't, you don't think, we don't do genealogies either. Um, how many of you know your great-great-grandparents' name? Any of them? There's probably eight of them, right? You know, you know. Okay, so two, great-great. Not just great, great-great. Ooh, Marone, Nice. Um, I don't know my great-grandfather's name, but I know he made candy. So, uh, that generational curse is passed on. Anyway, uh, but, yeah, so, but the genealogy, this goes back, so far back. It goes back, uh, and, and the genealogy uh, for most people, for, for some tracing one's family line, it gives them a sense, my, my, my uncle does this in our family. Do you ever have a you have a family line person in your family? Usually there's a family line person that's just like, yes, I love this, and they really get into it. Well, my uncle got, gets into it, but for, for some, that when, really get, when they get into it, it anchors them. It roots them. It gives them identity. It gives them, it forms kind of, it gives a fuller picture of who they are because all these people have, to a certain extent, influenced who they are today. So for many cultures, ancient and modern, and certainly the Jewish world of Matthew's day, this genealogy that he lays out here in chapter 1 was the equivalent, imagine this, of a drum roll, a fanfare of trumpets, and a pronouncement to gather attention. Any first century Jew would find this family tree both impressive and compelling. Like a great procession coming down the city street, we watch the figures at the front. We find Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then we find some in the middle. We see Boaz, we see David and Solomon. And, but all eyes are waiting for the one who comes in the position of greatest honor. At the end of the procession, Jesus. And as though to emphasize that Jesus isn't just one member of an ongoing family tree, 
But if you actually look at the structure of this genealogy, it's six groups of seven. It's six groups of seven people. And the seven was and is one of the most powerful symbolic numbers. Uh, it means completion. It means, uh, you know, on the seventh day rest, he was it was complete. It was done. And so to be born at the beginning of the seventh seven in this sequence is clearly the climax of the whole list. This birth, Matthew is saying, is what Israel has been waiting for for 2,000 years, and the real king has come. It's amazing that what we find in just this genealogy, in just the arrangement of God's masterful design, that at the seventh seven, Jesus, his son, would be born. Then Matthew gives us some keys into uh, his birth, uh, but for some reason, the Lord didn't want me to camp out on that. Uh, Matthew gives us some key insights into the conception and birth of Jesus, but within short order. Matthew shines the light on the current political leadership on Israel, on Herod the Great. So what he's beginning to do is he's beginning to compare. He just launched the genealogy. The true king has arrived. But there's another king in the land that is a false king. And that is Herod the Great. Let's read Matthew 2. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked them, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people, Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with, wise, with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child, and when you find him, come back and tell me, so I can go worship him too. Interesting. Herod had a plan. These magi come from the east, and they said, where is the king of the Jews? That's his, that's his job description. He is the king appointed by Rome as an opportunistic military leader to rule over Rome. He wasn't even Jewish. He was maybe part Jewish, maybe. But he was ruling over, he was appointed by Rome to keep the Jews under control. It's a harsh man. And so these people from the east come and say, Where? where's, the king of the, where's the king of the Jews? We're here to worship him. And Herod's like, wait, wait, wait. What are you talking about? You mean that there's one that was just born? Yeah, he was just born. Where is he? Well, I don't know, but that means competition for me. If that's true, I don't want any rumors of a usurper coming and usurping my usurped power. And then what's interesting is in verse 16, he says, Herod was furious. Actually, so, okay, go back. Uh, 
what happened was, so the Magi, they find Jesus, they worship him, you know the Christmas story. Then the Holy Spirit tells these Magi from the east, the Holy Spirit says, do not go back to Herod, just leave. So they left. And King Herod finds out. It says, Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. Herod the Great, this old king with no royal blood, he was not even, like I said, fully Jewish, but he was there to serve Romans' Middle Eastern interests. What Matthew tells us is political dynamite. Jesus is the true king, and Herod is the usurper. Herod is a false king. And he's beginning to compare Herod with Jesus. There is a false king, but the true king has come. A little more information about Herod the Great. Herod the Great, who thought nothing of killing members of his own family, including his own wife, when he suspected of scheming against him. He even gave orders when dying that the leading citizens of Jericho, we got into Joseph a little bit, Jericho, he sent orders to kill all the leading citizens of Jericho so that people would be weeping at his funeral. This Herod would not even bat an eye at the thought of killing lots of little babies in case one of them would later usurp him and his family's power. In this passage and several others, Matthew insists that what we, that we see in Jesus, even when things are at their darkest, is the fulfillment of Scripture. This is how Israel's Redeemer was to appear. This is how God would set about liberating his people and bringing justice to the whole world. This Jesus, the true king, from the line of Abraham and David, who taught with authority, that of above Moses, and he's illuminating Jesus. And then we're going to just jump to verse, uh, chapter 3. Again, we're, just, we're giving kind of just an overview. It is our hope that you kind of get inspired by uh, the series for you to kind of go in and, and just read. Read the Gospels. Uh, next week we're going to talk about the Sermon on the Mount, and it is going to be mind-blowing. Uh, so it's going to be great. Matthew 3, so this is the last section we'll touch on today. He's going to introduce another character. Uh, so he introduced the false, false king, and now he's going to introduce another wild character named John the Baptist. In those days, John the Baptist came to Ju- the Judean wilderness and began preaching. His message was, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The prophet Isaiah was speaking about John when he said his voice, he is a voice shouting in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. John's clothes were woven with coarse camel hair and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food, he ate locusts and and wild honey. People from Jerusalem and from all of Judea and all over the Jordan Valley went to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. It makes mention of these prophets that would uh, spoke of Elijah or the spirit of Elijah kind of coming back later on to prepare the way for the Messiah 
to come. And Matthew is identifying John the Baptist as the man that has this Elijah-like spirit. That um, he, was, he was a wild man, he was a prophet. Um, he was actually out in the Jordan River baptizing Jews for the repentance of their sins. That hadn't happened before. Because if you wanted to become a Jew before Jesus, and I th- believe they still do today, but if you want to become Jewish, a lot of times what they would do is that they would do water baptism, but they would baptize you in the story of Moses coming out of Egypt, going through the Red Sea and into the Promised Land. And so baptism was a tradition before John the Baptist um, of seeing Gentiles coming into the Jewish faith. But here, John the Baptist is kind of twisting what they're familiar with. He was saying, you need to repent, you children of God, because you rely on the law, but yet your hearts are still darkened. And so these people were responding to John's wild message that the Jews, because for, in their mindset, it was like, we are children of Abraham. We don't need that. Gentiles do to come into the true family, but we are the true family. We don't need to do much other than obey the law. But John the Baptist said, no, you need to actually repent to prepare the way for the coming Messiah. John was plunging them in the waters of the Jordan. Over a thousand years before, the children of Israel had crossed the Jordan when they entered and conquered the Promised Land. Now they had to go through the river again as a sign that they were getting ready for a greater conquest. Not just the Promised Land, but that God would deal a defeat to all evil and the establishment of His kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And so, John the Baptist is out baptizing and... Here enters Jesus. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. So it's interesting. The Messiah who's God in the flesh, God in a bod, however you want to say it, God with us, that's what Emmanuel means, that Jesus was this Emmanuel, God with us. Why would he come and submit to John the Baptist to be baptized? And John said, don't I need to be baptized by you? But Jesus needed, well, I'll just... Jesus' reply tells us something vital about the whole gospel story that's going to unfold before our eyes. Yes, he's coming to fulfill God's plan and promises which God made ages ago and has not forgotten. Yes, these are the promises that will blow God's spirit throughout the world, which will not only bring God's just judgment on evil everywhere, but he will also rescue God's repentant people once and for all. But if he's to do this, This is how he must do it, by humbly identifying himself with God's people, by taking their place, by sharing their repentance, by living their life and ultimately dying their death. Matthew is spinning up his Jewish audience with this. Where Israel failed, Jesus came to fulfill. 
So why would Jesus get baptized? It's because he's rewriting or redeeming the story of Israel. And so Jesus submits to that process. And then it goes on. It says, When Jesus was baptized, immediately he came up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. This is my beloved Son, with whom I'm fully pleased. God could have said anything in this moment to confirm that this was his own Son, the Messiah that he sent. He could have said anything. But he chose to reveal his heart towards his son before he began to even do any work in his ministry. Before he began to fulfill one thing, God gives us this profession of pleasure, of delight of his son. But what is wild is this, and this is what I want to kind of pull out for today for more practical application, because we've been pretty much just giving you some facts and figs. But what's interesting is that those who repent and follow Jesus through baptism and along the road that we're going to find him leading us on through this series, if we listen, there's the same voice from heaven speaking to us as well. You are my son and daughter. And with you, I'm fully pleased and delighted. When we come to follow Jesus, not make a decision, but in our heart that we are aligning our life to be a disciple of Jesus. Jesus didn't come to make decisions. That's a modern 20th century invention. He called disciples. So as a disciple, I'm following in his footsteps. I'm learning how to live like he lives. I'm learning how to think as he thinks. I'm learning how to talk as he talks. I'm learning how to treat people as he treats people. And in this journey, as we grow right at the beginning, before we really do anything of significance, God speaks over you and I to say, with you I'm fully pleased. That none of our work has to happen out of gaining more love or gaining more approval, but that when we work and we love and we follow Jesus as a disciple, that God's pleasure is over us from day one. That's what differentiates every religion from Jesus following, which is religion is I've got to do these rules and laws and maybe one day if I do all five of these, or all seven of these, or I fulfill these requirements, then maybe when I meet God, He'll welcome me into His kingdom. But that's not Jesus, that's not Christianity. And that is not Jesus' message or the Father's message to us. It's that from day one. How many of us live out of that, though? That's the key. How many of us live out of that sense that God is pleased with us? Obviously, we're all messed up and we've got junk and we've got things and we've got problems and we're moving forward in those things. But that, has not a, that bears no weight on your identity and who God says you are. 
Your identity is firmly rooted in God. Now what we choose to do with that identity comes up to us. Do we steward what he's spoken if you're a follower of Jesus? Do we steward that to say, you know what, I'm not going to strive anymore. I'm not, gonna, I'm not trying to earn any favor. I just want to learn how to fall in love with God more and love people better than I ever have. As we learn to set aside our own plans and submit to his, we increasingly glimpse a greater reality. And at the center of that reality, we will find our loving Father affirming us as his children and equipping us with his Spirit so that our lives may be used to be one on the same mission as Jesus, to see the world redeemed and restored as he intends. That's what Jesus came to do, not save your soul to go to heaven, but to redeem you and fill you with his spirit so you can continue the mission that he came to bring. Let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. The whole ark story of the scriptures is God redeeming people to transform the earth, not redeeming people to evacuate them out of the earth. And we've got a whole sense of 20th century theology and belief that has taken us out of that engagement with the world in hopes that God would rescue us and escape us out of this darkness that we're in. But did you not know that the light is way more powerful than the darkness? Did you not know his grace and forgiveness is much more powerful than judgment and criticism? Wow. Come on. And I think we just give darkness too much place, too much power. Jesus came to reverse the whole course of human history. That before there was so much power of sin that we didn't have any power over it, but he came to break, to break that power of sin so that in him we have the power to not only resist sin in our own life, but to expose it in the world and to count and say, that's, that's, not, that's not right. I'd like us to kind of maybe transition into, we're going to do communion together. And uh, so if Will, if you want to come up, and uh, Gennard and Blanca, uh, polite, are going to be serving communion for us today. Um, but as we do that, you know, again, Matthew's biggest message is Jesus is king. He came to restore the whole world. And, you know, for us, sometimes we're, we just get so busy, so enthralled with our own things that we sometimes just don't pause and take a moment to say, God, thank you. I'm grateful. I'm grateful for your sacrifice. I'm grateful for what you're doing in my life. And that's what I really feel like God wants to open up just the clouds, the fog, the storm that as he comes in, that he would blow off that fog, blow off, and that a new day would arise in your heart of gratitude, of life, of thankfulness, to say, God, you are moving in my life. God, you are doing things in me that I never imagined. God, you are 
shaping me and forming me and to be the, a freer person, a healed person, a restored person. Lord, not just for that, but so that we could be a blessing to the world, to our neighbors, co-workers, family. And so, Lord, we take this communion today, and God, we just think about that. So, Lord, as we go out today, God, let us be your people. Let us be your church. God, to bring life, to bring blessing. God, if there's people that are going through sorrow, that we would come alongside and grieve with them. God, if there's people that are celebrating, uh, God, that we would come alongside and celebrate with them. Father, we pray that, Lord, through this uh, next season, God, that you would teach us things about Jesus that we've never seen before, and things about him, his message, and his kingdom. God, open up our hearts. Our hearts are eager. Our hearts are hungry for more of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we hope this message has inspired you and challenged you to be the man or woman he's called you to be now and to see his kingdom grow in every area and arena of life. God is with you more than you know. For more information about our community here in Kansas City, please visit us online at citylifekc.org and we'll see you next time on the City Life Podcast.